radioinfluence.com. Kenny Shu, author of the new book, School of Woke, breaks down how critical race theory is insidiously transforming public schools and destroying our children's education on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Are you ready to expose CRT for what it really is and does, infiltrating our public schools and transforming them into activist factories with disastrous results? Well then, let's get into it. He's a renowned public commentator who focuses on education, minority achievement, and critical race theory. A second-generation Chinese-American, he's challenged Harvard University for discrimination against Asian-Americans and worked as the director for media outreach against California Proposition 16. The many publications he's written for include National Review, Newsweek, The New York Post, The Federalist, the Wall Street Journal and Washington Examiner, and he's been seen all over Fox News of late. Interviewed on shows including the Faulkner Focus and the Ingram Angle, the president of Color Us United, the organization advocating for a race-blind America, and the author of the new book, School of Woke, I welcome to the show, Kenny Shu. How are you, Kenny? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Kenny, and uh, we met down at Rock the Red a couple years ago, and this is something I've wanted to do for a long time, so I'm glad you're coming on, and thank you very much. You have a lot to say. Uh, Kenny's book is scheduled to be released on August 1st, but it's not his first. He previously wrote An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for American Meritocracy. School of Woke, please tell us what this is about and why everybody must read it. You know that uh, American sniper quote, they're the sheep, the wolves, and the sheepdogs? Mm -hmm. Well, that's about to happen. That is happening right now in our public school system. Right now, our public school system is being assaulted by wolves. And that is the way to describe it. People who are are predators on children, whether ideological or physical, um, indulging them in depressing ideologies such as critical race theory and gender theory. And it is our responsibility as vigilant Americans to be the sheepdogs, that is to pursue them like enemies because they are enemies of the school system. And that is what School of Woke is about. It is a clarion call to retake the schools from woke education activists. I hear you. In the book, you explain that parents really began to understand how deeply CRT is ingrained in the classrooms, that their eyes finally were open because of the virus and kids being shut down and them finally looking and seeing what's going on. This has led to CRT and parental rights and education becoming among the most explosive issues we face today. Where do you think we currently stand in this regard? Are we making any progress here? Because for a while, nobody even knew what it was. I want to be clear here. This is a low point in the American education system. And the reason why is simple. Liberals have taken the education system for the past 50 years. 
And they have given various justifications to allow their dominance, such as we care about children and we want them to learn about diversity. Well, those things are now being challenged right now. Uh, Once you see the kinds of curricula they are teaching, it is not about a race-blind America. It is not about higher standards for all. It is all about lowering standards for race. You see in my book, School of Woke, a new movement to retake the schools from that racial ideology that is going on. Okay, when you say it's about race and when you say what it's about, can you kind of delve into and give us some idea what the book will tell people why this is such an insidious danger? Uh, I've had other guests on. We'll get into the school system a little bit. I've had Joe Mobley on talking about the Loudoun school system. Ian Pryor has been on. He's talked about the school system. You can come from a different point of view because you took on Harvard among other things, and from a college, you know, because most of the people that I've had on talked about this on the high school level, but it really started on the college level, right? Yeah, critical theory, the training of children basically to see themselves as an oppressed victim uh, came from Harvard, and it came from Harvard Law School. Uh, A professor named Derek Bell was the first person to really introduce this into the law, educated a young Barack Obama who implemented critical race theory policy into public policy during his presidency. And I'm serious about that. If you look at Obama's 2014 discipline guidelines, he said schools have to discipline children at racially proportionate rates. That means that if black kids are doing 65 percent of the uh, disruptive actions, which unfortunately tends to happen, especially in uh, the schools that I've looked at, they are not allowed to be disciplined at 65% of the rate. You have to lower standards for them, lower standards for suspension and expulsion. And you know what message that sends to those black kids? It sends the message that they're invincible. And that is what we have to fight if we want other black kids, the people who really wanna learn to actually succeed. I hear you there. Now, the thing that really bothered me and uh, about part of the critical race theory teaching is that this is something that is inherent from birth. Like if you're born white, you're born evil. If you're born black, you're born a victim. And and it's almost like if two babies are in a crib or in in the hospital right there and one is next to the other, one is inherently evil and the other is inherently judged like you're going to be a victim. I don't understand how we've let anything along these lines take charge, uh, take charge and even gain any traction. So can you give a historical content to its rise? It, 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 you say from elite graduate schools from the 70s, but but, you know, how did this and it came out of nowhere? It's, it's like it's like it's like a bamboo tree. Yesterday it wasn't there. Now it's 60 feet tall. Where does come from? How did this rise so fast? And why are people even buying into this bull crap? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the truth is CRT has been in the schools for decades. Okay, people say it's not never not even taught in the schools. That's because it is masked under terms like diversity, equity and inclusion, terms that you and I believed in 10 years ago, terms that you and I would proudly stand for. Diverse America. Okay. well, guess what? This so-called diversity rationale has gotten us. It has gotten us explicit discrimination against Asians in, in the college admissions process. It has gotten us the lowering of standards for black kids, taking out uh, advanced math courses for in schools because they're too afraid that it would be segregated by race. 
Uh, it has taken us to lower discipline policies where kit where teachers are not allowed to suspend kids for smoking marijuana in class anymore. That's actually what happened in Santa Barbara. There's a new policy that says you can't be suspended for smoking marijuana in the classroom. Um, and it has taken us to explicit sexual uh, predator allowance in the name of uh, inclusion. We need to include LGBTQ folks. That means that if a man decides that he wants to be disruptive by wearing a dress, a teacher cannot call him out on it. If a man decides he wants to kiss a classmate, they can't call him out on it because teachers are now too afraid to speak out because they're too afraid of the consequences. Yes. Uh, I heard you say something that really resonated with me. It resonated with me so quickly that within two minutes, I had posted it on Facebook. I'm going to give you a little context. When I was in college in the 70s, you know, as a black man, and I went to college out in Ohio, and I grew up in New Jersey, but I grew up in black culture. And black culture included a lot of things. Uh, It included, uh, you know, having a good time, partying. uh, You know, the education of my, my parents, education was important because they weren't educated. And they did things, especially my mother, to try and make sure I became the first person in my family to go to college. So when I got to college, I noticed that Africans that were students from Africa, they weren't Americans, but they're from Africa. They had a whole different mindset than American blacks. They studied, they, they may party a little bit, but they got, they were there to learn and they were there to achieve. And me and my buddies and almost everybody else I knew, you know, you're having a good time, you party, it could include drugs, alcohol, women, whatever, you know, and you had a good time and you may, you may study, but, and you, but, you know, it, I'm looking at these African and they were serious. They're going to, they want to be doctors and lawyers and dentists. And then when I heard you say on the Faulkner focus to, I think it was Jillian Turner, you said, quote, despite a history of discrimination in this country, Asian Americans have thrived in this country and it's not based on race. It's based on culture. And when I heard that, I said, yes, that explains the problem. Please unpack that. Because see, the Asian culture is different than the black culture. It's more like the African culture. And I could see the difference then and just didn't pick up on it. It's not even that the African born kids are doing better than the black born than the American born black kids in this country. It's that the black Kids who were born in this country in 1878 mm-hmm. are doing better than the black kids right. born in this country in the in 1997. Have you seen the eighth grade primer for some of these black uh, schools that were in 1890, 1900? They have questions like, "What is the past participle of the of the verb do?" Uh, they have questions like, "Name how many bushels of wheat you could put into a." a six foot by nine foot wagon. Could, could, could you trust a modern eighth grader today of most races to solve that problem today? Absolutely not. Uh, but you, but that, that's what, that was standard math and English back in those black schools back in the day. That shows me something that shows that this whole 
this whole lack of education that's going on, in, unfortunately, in too many segments of the black community today, it's not related to the fact that they're black. It is related to the culture and the standards that we as Americans have put upon them. How did that happen and why didn't the why was the Asian culture able to withstand this and and reject it? Because obviously we can go back and look into the 50s where, you know, the reading and, and the educational aspect of all students was much higher than it is today. What happened, especially to the black community that didn't happen in the Asian community? Because in my new book, School of Woke, I show Asian Americans they simply just don't, they don't take at face value the education the school gets. The school will give homework, some level of homework to get them to the mediocre standard. And the Asian parents are gonna add on additional homework to make sure they remain excellent, to make sure their, their grade does not fall below an A. You know, that is what they will do. Now, here's the issue. Asian parents have to make a lot of sacrifices for that to happen. And I wish that the school system alone could just teach that, but they, they don't. They're, they're completely distracted in all kinds of activist political agendas. Um, and they're taking away time spent learning, uh, practicing these other ideas, administrative ideas. And so Asian parents have to come in and, and basically make up for that. But if you don't have a parent that is equipped to do that, because that takes a lot of personal sacrifice and time, then you're not going to learn at that standard. Right. And the parent, the role of the parent is to raise their kids and, and, and prepare their kids for the life that's coming. And, and it just seems like a lot of parents today, uh, regardless of nationality, they're about, you know, taking care of them. Then the kids are being left to the schools and the streets and all kind of uh, social groups and Twitter or whatever, or social media to raise them. And that's kind of scary to me. You know, your book covers the fierce battles that took place and are still taking place in several problematic and contested school districts. Um, we've talked about Virginia's Loudoun County a lot on this show. You want to give me another couple school districts where this is really, really a major problem and what's going on there? In Santa Barbara County is the other school district that I really investigated. I liked the contrast between Loudoun County in Northern Virginia and Santa Barbara County in California because it's two opposite poles of America. And Santa Barbara County is predominantly Latino, um, lots of illegal immigrants. When people say, by the way, oh, illegal immigrants, they don't um, take away anything from our economy. Well, we have to provide these illegal immigrants education and their kids' education. So that is a big expense. And it slows the class down, right? And it slows the class down. So it slows the class down for sure. But especially when you see what's being done in Santa Barbara, which is they're not even teaching these kids English anymore. They've just given up. They're just like, we're not going to make any effort to assimilate you into American culture. We're just going to let you speak Spanish for the rest of your life. And then I interviewed this 11th grade student and she was crying to me because she was like, I don't even know how to write an essay. Isn't that sad? My cousin over there, he knows how to write an essay. He's in eighth grade. I can't even write the way that that he can. And she's crying because she knows that her opportunities are going to be limited for the rest of her life because of that. And it's true. That's the, how much the standard is being lowered to basically satisfy the oppression Olympics, the activists in Santa Barbara schools, uh, and to de-assimilate these kids in the name of critical race theory. 
Yeah, this is a major problem. Uh, you talk about gaslighting. You talk about the administrators and educators. Gaslighting where children as young as five are not only being segregated in the classroom by race, but are being taught that whiteness is inherently evil. We get into that because a lot of people have no clue what gaslighting is. <laughs> they face it all the time. <laughs> gaslighting is when you deliberately try to sabotage a person's information base. So think about, for example, the history curricula. Okay. Um, What is true about America? It is true that America has had slavery, but it is also true that America has abolished slavery. It is also true that America, many whites participated in the struggle for civil rights along with blacks. It was, you know, those things can all be true. But gaslighting history is when an activist teacher or um, uh, administrator comes into your school, which is happening all too often now. And I talk about an example in School of Woke in a Michigan school district where their curricula is now only about the bad parts of American history, slavery, depression, um, lynching, the Greensboro, quote unquote, massacre, which was which which they blame on white people when really it was between the Communist Party and the KKK, you know, um, and both sides were to blame. Um, they will take a distorted version of history and feed it to facts to young, impressionable black children for the purpose of cultivating exactly the kind of victimhood narrative to rile them up and eventually make themselves a victim, uh, give themselves a victim complex. And that is what is happening in our schools. Yeah. Wow. There's just so much going on. I just hope parents and people are waking up to this because it's so important. One of the other things that you have in the book that race isn't really the cause of these major problems, that two of the major causes are 75 percent of the out of wedlock rate, meaning people born uh, to where there aren't two parents and poor discipline policies in the school. Can you unpack that for us? Absolutely. So. One thing that an out of wedlock rate does is it prevents parents really from being engaged with the school system. And there are exceptions. There are many exceptions There are many brave single moms doing the Lord's work. But man, it's hard uh, because if you're a parent and you're not engaged with your school system and not reinforcing what is being taught or contrasting or discussing what is being taught to the child, then you're basically surrendering the child to the school system. And of course, as I point out in my new book, the school system's interests are no longer aligned with the learning of the child. They're aligned with the activists now. They're aligned with the administrators who get funding per child. They will pass your child even though your child is not qualified to pass. People don't know that. And a vigilant parent will be able to point that out and advocate for their child. Instead, parents are basically being left in the dust or they don't have time to do it because they are from single family households. Yeah. Okay. And the other part you said beside the uh, out of wedlock was the uh, lack of discipline, which I think you kind of touched before. How badly is that problem? How bad is that lack of discipline problem? Getting bigger getting bigger. Since Obama's racial equity guidance forbidding suspensions, expulsions for too many black kids, we are seeing an increase in disorderly conduct complaints against black kids. It's, it's very, I mean, it's natural, right? You would expect to see this given that kind of policy. Um, and so what you will see is you will see an across the board lowering of standards. 
um, in our in our country today. And what happens is when you interview teachers who teach in inner city schools like Baltimore, I went into Baltimore, horrible, horrible place um, to teach. Um, the there are because even back in the 80s and 90s, this was starting and now it's it, it's never been fixed. Um, and so, you know, in these schools, you would see 10 percent of the kids basically physically harming the atmosphere of the classroom and preventing the other 90% of the kids learning. And the teachers feel completely powerless. They feel like the school is not on their side. If they feel like the administration is not on their side and they're experiencing this kind of behavior, that is a recipe for all of the good teachers to leave. And that is why you have so much teacher turnover. Wow. You know, this seems getting worse and worse. And I contend this is intentional. This disparity is intentional. The left needs large segments of people to be uneducated, unproductive, to be down so they'll be able to accept the crumbs off the table from the uh, the left and everybody that just wants big government. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, and I'll give you an example. What happened in Baltimore schools, Baltimore schools is the fourth most funded district in America per capita, over $21,000 per child, fourth most funded large district in America. You know what their proficiency rate in math is? It's almost zero. Yeah. 7%. 23 Baltimore schools have a 0% proficiency rate. Remember, this is a primarily black district. Where does the money go? Where does the money go? Well, I actually trace the money. The money mainly goes to teachers unions, raises for teachers. Secondly, it goes into administrators pet projects like lowering class sizes. Lowering class sizes has no shows no effect of actually helping the uh, learning achievement of a person. What it does is it reduces the burden on teachers. But with the teachers unions in charge, none of this is outcome focused. None of this is based on actually improving the results of these kids. So these kids, the, the, the Maryland taxpayers believe they are helping black children because the Democrats pitched them that they're helping black children. And they're not. They're just feeding the bureaucratic economy that is becoming the Baltimore City Schools. And people should be able to see this, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Now, the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling that set the left completely on its head and had you all over Fox News, uh, this ties in with what you were going with a back and forth with Harvard and your support to end legacy admissions and all special privileges. Will you get into that for us? Absolutely. This is a huge win for America. I I do believe that we needed to kill race preferences in college admissions before we can have a real conversation about our public schools. Why? Because as so long as universities can continue to lower the standards for black kids, which they have been doing until now, as so long as universities can continue to lower the standard, they can continue to mask the problem, mask the disparity and claim that they are achieving real progress in society when they're not because they're just making a mask. They're, they, they, all they care about is the fact that the kid is black, not the individual kid, not helping their merit, anything like that. So that is why I went on CNN and they were saying, well, what about all of the black kids who are helped by affirmative action? I was like, what black kids? What black kids are helped by getting into a college in which they're going to graduate the bottom 25% of their class? What black kids are being helped 
when you lower the standard so that they get discouraged so that they drop out of STEM majors, which is what happens with black kids who get accepted into uh, math programs, according to a Duke study. All of these things are happening in colleges right now. And and we needed to get rid of race preferences and admissions for us to finally shine the light of truth on our education system. Right. Now, please speak and address this from the Asian point of view, where the Asian has the exact opposite problem, where the black has the problem of getting in because they don't have the credentials. The Asians have the credentials and couldn't get in. Yeah, there was another CNN host. By the way, you can see all these videos at my Twitter, at Kenny M. Shoot, at Kenny M. X. U. There was a CNN host who said, well, what about all of the black kids who are helped by affirmative action? What are you going to say to them? And I said, and I said directly back to this, to the CNN host, look, this policy is discriminating against Asians. Even if affirmative action does help these black kids, it's harming deserving Asian applicants. You know, I support a fair process. You can't just say, well, we value this race more than other races, more than Asian kids. You can't just say we value black kids more than Asian kids. That is un-American. That is an un-American policy. So you have to say, let's treat people based on their merits. Let's treat people based on their accomplishments. That's what I'm trying to advocate for. I hear you. Now, you know, we put a lot of stuff out and you put a lot of stuff. I should say you put a lot of stuff out here. And now I know everybody's depressed or up on a bridge ready to jump off. So you got some hope for them. Is there any hope in school awoke? Is there any hope in how do we correct this problem? Heck, heck yeah. You know, I talk about the sheepdogs who are saving our country from the wolves. You know, they are the teachers who are fighting back. I talked about a school board member. She expected to raise 10,000 for her campaign. She's raising $100,000 just for a school board seat because that's how much attention people are seeing are ready to fight for uh, the rebuilding of our schools. But even if you don't want to run for school board, even if you don't want to keep our schools accountable, you should still read this book uh, because you need to have these conversations at home right now with your children. You can, children are malleable. Yes. By the school system, but also by you, you're the parent, you know, you can teach your kid, Hey, little Johnny doesn't see your friend, your dark skinned friend for his race. Little Johnny sees him for the friend that he is for the content of his character, not the color of your skin. You need to have these dinner time conversations And that's how you can literally make an individual difference and turn the culture away from this. I hear you. And and everybody, please understand, parent, each person can do something and you just have to start. You just have to start and get involved. You don't have to be Einstein. Just get involved and talk to somebody, as Kenny is saying, just talk to somebody. Final question, Kenny. Tell people about Colorist United, which is advocating for a a race blind, colorblind America. Uh, It's doable. It, it, it's 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 the perfect utopia, but what do we have to do here to get this? I would say that Colorist United is advocating for ideals that most Americans fundamentally agree on, which is that we should be treating people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. For a long time, we were moving in that direction. I certainly grew up in an environment where race was like the least important factor about somebody in my very diverse high school. But we are now moving in the opposite direction because of government, education and media sponsored division. And we need to fight back for those race blind ideals. So if you believe in that, 
and you support our campaigns against DEI, support our campaigns against uh, in, against universities who are practicing race preferences, go to colorusunited.org, colorusunited.org, and become a member. Thank you. Now, Kenny, please tell people how they can reach you and anything else you'd like to support. You can reach me at Kenny M. Shu, Kenny M. X. U. on Facebook, Twitter, and by School of Woke. Buy this book to fight for your education, for your kids' education, to understand what's going on in our school system and what it's become. You can buy that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. IndieBound is a great place to help the author wherever books are sold. Kenny, it was a pleasure hearing you speak in Greenville, South Carolina at Rock the Red. I knew then you had the goods, and I'm, I'm, I'm just elated to see that in the year and a half since I last saw you, you've really blossomed and are getting out there, and people are starting to pay attention to what you have to say because you've got a right perspective. Thank you very much for coming on. You're always welcome to come back to the show. Thank you. There you have it, everybody. Mr. Kenny Shu, telling it like it needs to be. We've got a lot of work to do, people, but this is achievable. But we got to start right now while we still have time to do so. I want to thank Kenny Shu for giving us another perspective on critical race theory, how evil it is, how it's infesting and infecting our public school system to the detriment of our precious children. This must be dealt with, America, and I mean like yesterday. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. For first-time listeners, we hope you'll check out the podcast archive located on the page. You'll hear previous guests, including Monica Crowley, Kira Davis, Carrie Lake, Ben Carson, Ian Pryor, Diamond and Silk, Christina Bob, Vince Everett Ellison, Rebecca Friedrichs, A.J. Rice, Star Parker, Christian Watson, Tracy Beans, Kevin McGarry, Brandon Tatum. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you. God bless your families and God bless America.